Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and you can find our work all over the internet. I usually use the beginning of the podcast to let Ben get all of his promos and and uh, and what are, what are the other things that you do and soapbox opportunities here. He gets to get he gets to give out all of his rants. So Ben. Take the, take the floor, man. I'd hardly call it a rant, uh, but you can find my work at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook. And don't you want to tell people about Code, 40, Code 45 again? That's right. I also have a graphic novel that is currently on Kickstarter. It's the full series, all five issues. You can either buy them individually or in a collected volume. And this is the last week. Uh, it is done on the morning of July 1st, very early so if you want to snag a copy, you got to do it by June 30th. It's www.code-45.com. That's a Wednesday, I think, the 30th. Uh, I don't know when you're listening to this, but hopefully it's before then. The story is about Vanessa, who is a subway driver who discovers that the people who work the night shift in Montreal are terrified of these dragons that live in the tunnels below the city's streets, these mysterious and malevolent apparitions, and they all start... Um, self-medicating to get through their terror and get their jobs done. She falls in with this crowd plus the underground rave scene and discovers that she has to figure out what's going on around her and how it relates to a dark secret about her own family's history. Anyway, that's Code 45, code-45.com, and it is on Kickstarter right now. And I want to say thank you to so many of our listeners who have already picked up a copy really really appreciate it and it's amazing to have that kind of support absolutely um i'll use the time to tell people they can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as nouveau magazine and driving.ca but you know what enough self-promotion we can do that again later because you know we we control the podcast right i mean i don't think we do i think at this point podcast determines what happens in our lives well, the podcast is now telling me it's time for you to talk about the Mustang Mach-E that you recently drove. Can you do that? I can do that, Sammy. Then go for it, man. What, what's the, what is this car? So it depends on your perspective. On one side of the equation, the Mustang Mach-E is a perfectly acceptable electric crossover. And on the other side, it is a heretical rebranding that snubs tradition and... Uh, disrespects the Mustang name. So these are the two, I guess, poles of uh, Mustang Mach-E evaluation. Sammy, which one are you on? Which side are you on? Uh, I'm on the side of it doesn't matter what it's called. If it's a good car, that's all that matters. Well, I mean, if you think about it, it was a smart move by Ford to stir up this kind of controversy because we're talking about it and a lot of people are talking about it. And I think a lot of people who never would have talked about an electric vehicle are having this conversation now because of their either anger at using the Mustang name or their reaction to someone else's anger or their indifference altogether. Yeah, exactly. So it, it was a it was a big PR move and it worked. Uh, I personally don't care. I I think maybe at one point I might have for a few seconds, but then I got over myself and I realized that we're in a world now where I mean we've always been in this world, but marketing is everything. 
Yep. Especially for these car companies. So if they're going to be able to sell more electric Mustangs using the Mustang name than if they just called it like the Falcon or the Comet or something like that. Or so just th- a bunch of letters and numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it, if it had been called the EV600 plus 12, I mean, probably wouldn't be reviewing on the show right now. <laughs> um, I, I'm curious. I mean, there is no reason it should be called a Mustang. But then again, there's no reason anything should be called anything. We should just call them whatever we want, right? It should sure. be called Steve, right? Or, well, or Ben. It, they've it should kinda, be called the Ben EV. I will say this. It looks more like a Mustang than it does a Steve or a Ben. Because, okay. because they've taken cues from the coupe, and like the front end, the headlights, the grill, or the fake grill, is, as I guess it looks on a, an electric car. And the, the taillights, did I mention those? It doesn't um, matter. You can say them twice. There's taillights, taillights, taillights. These are all uh, things. Now, you're over, now you've gone overboard. over. The, over the edge. These are things that are kind of directly lifted from the regular Mustang, the gas-powered Mustang. The rest of it doesn't really look Mustang-like. It's got a blobby. What, con- what is the problem with the four doors? The <laughs> Like the profile of it being literally like a hatchback. Like- it's kind of a blobby wagon if you think about it. It's not an. Oh, nothing un- says nothing says Mustang more than blobby wagon, right? Well, it's not an unattractive car. It doesn't particularly stand out from other crossovers. It's it's decent looking. It's got a bit of muscle to it and heft in the haunches. You know, they, they've done their best on the fender wells to kind of swell them out. But at its core, this is a car that's supposed to be useful. And it's a car that's supposed to fit around that big battery pack at the bottom, right? Okay, talk to me about this battery pack. Is it big? Okay, it's kind of big. There's two versions that you can get. So they have a, I believe the standard range is a 75.7 kilowatt hour pack. I'm not sure that's if that's big. the... I'm that's not sure. Standard range? Yeah. I'm not sure if that's the full size or that's the usable size because yeah, they're different. I hate this magic that the automakers won't give you the full, the full deets. Yeah. Let me double check because I do believe I have that information because there's two different battery packs. Right. Um, the uh, other size is the one that I had. It's the 98.8 kilowatt hour. I want to say the usable on the one that I had is about 88 kilowatt hours. I really wish that the automaker would take that uh, 98.8 and make a very special radio channel for it. So when you dial in 98.8, you get a very special battery a message from the battery. No, it's just it's just you hear like a humming, like the battery hums. <laughs> it just sounds like a radio frequency to me. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, so you had the bigger motor or the bigger battery. I had the Does bigger battery. More the, motors or something like that? Kind of. So there's there's two batteries and there's three drivetrains, maybe four drivetrains. So the base drive. What does that mean? Well, I'll get to that in a second. But it, there's if you if you get the base Maki, which is about forty two grand, it has a two hundred and thirty mile range, and it comes with rear wheel drive and two hundred fifty five horsepower and three hundred six pound feet of torque. That, those are not crazy numbers. They're not bad. But it's, it's I very... don't know a Mustang with a with a horsepower figure in the two range two hundred something range doesn't sound great. Well, to now me. you're sounding a bit like a traditionalist, Sammy. Oh yeah, sorry. So if you get that one, you you that's the one that gives you two hundred and eleven miles of range, which is not great, but it's right up with pretty much the standard from like say a Chevy Bolt, uh, which is I think two hundred and thirty, Sammy. Yep. And it's uh, the Audi e-tron, which is much more expensive is right in that range. So it's it's not terrible. Um, it, sorry, I, did I say 211? That's for the all-wheel drive. The, the base model is 230. So all-wheel drive drops 20 miles of range off. Uh, mm. If you go up to the next step up, though, there's a 270-mile 
range for all-wheel drive and 300 miles for rear-wheel drive with the battery that I had. And if you go for all-wheel drive, you get uh, 346 horsepower and 428 pound-feet of torque. So that's kind of... Now we're talking. Yeah, it's a dual motor, so you're getting more performance. It'll do 60 in under five seconds, which is pretty pretty decent for a vehicle of its size. Under five? Yeah, 4.8 seconds. I heard that there's a new perform- GT performance model that doesn't like three and a half or something. Yeah, so I will get to that. That is oh, the, my bad. That is the, Spoiler alert. <laughs> that's the third option. The GT model makes 480 horsepower and 600 pound-feet of torque. The performance adds 34 pound-feet, mm-hmm. and that one will get you in three and a half seconds. It cuts that's your all-wheel range- drive, right? That's all-wheel drive only, and it cuts your range to about 260 miles. So, And we shouldn't be seeing any TikTok videos or Instagram reels of people doing like drag launches into crowds or something like that? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, okay, good. That's good. I'm glad that you don't pay attention to the automotive memes out there. So I had the the middle one. I had one with the dual motor and the big battery, but not the Performance GT. Um, In terms of acceleration, it's good. It doesn't feel crazy, but it doesn't feel slow. It's uh, it, it, this, it has like three settings, right? So there's this, the main setting for regular drive mode is called Engage because everyone's their own Jean-Luc Picard inside the, yes. the, the Mustang Mach-E. Then okay. there's, then there's um, Unbridled, Sammy, because get it, it's a horse. So okay. that's, that gives you pretty snappy throttle. And then there's something called, I think it's called silent or quiet or I can't remember exactly. Let me double check my Oh, notes. I see. The other ones are interesting and the last one is not silent. It's called um, Stable. Whisper. It's called Whisper, Sam. Oh, I see. Okay, great. So it's weird because Whisper, like, it's designed for calm driving. And I guess that also prolongs battery use because you can't really punch into the drivetrain as much as you normally would with the okay. accelerator. But it's not completely silent. So the the uh, unbridled setting, it gives you this like fake engine noise that you can turn on and off, but I guess the default is on, and mm-hmm. that kind of makes you feel like you know you're driving something that's gas powered. The, the performance sound pleasure thing. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, uh, when you go into whisper mode, it turns that off, but it doesn't turn off the exterior noise. So like the Mustang has a a, a noise it generates so that pedestrians hear it coming. And it does that at speeds, I think, of around... I noticed it around 15 miles an hour. And it's super weird. Like, it, you especially notice if you Is it just like a person, like, clittering their throat constantly? No, it's like what a... Is no, 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 kind of like... Oh, oh, I can't yeah. really do it, because I'm, I'm not a machine. But, yeah, um, that's what you tell us. I'm not... I mean, for tax purposes, I'm definitely not a machine, if the CRA is listening to this. But uh, it's super weird, because you notice it at slow speeds, right? Which means... Um, when I was driving down one-way streets in Montreal, they were pretty tight, and there's cars on both sides. The noise kept reflecting off the cars, and I had the windows right. down. And it's just like it's super annoying. It's like the whole time you're driving, and I just want I just want to silently creep up and stalk on a pedestrian, but I can't do that. Even when you put it in reverse, it makes a beeping noise. Right. Oh, like a like a big old truck. Hey? Yeah. So the days of silent EV driving are behind us, thanks to pedestrian safety. So all um, those people out there not paying attention in the crosswalk with their with their earphones on, thank you for ruining everything. I will. I've I've driven a couple of like Hyundai's and I've driven a Toyota EV as well or hybrid, 
And its noise is very, like, it's like this angelic hum, I think is the best way to describe it. And I don't know that, an, like, a pedestrian would be like, oh, that's a car. I should, be, I should get out of the way or something like that. Yeah, maybe They'll be like, what is that noise? Am I, am I ascending? What's happening? Maybe, then, maybe you know, it's, just a, it's just a pleasant way to die, I guess. Like, you, you <laughs> kind of, you're kind of lulled into this gentle state of calm before you're hit by an electric vehicle. I like you. At least that one sounded much more sci-fi. You're like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, <laughs> the, it, the it, other ones are like, ah, like that. Definitely, I've heard that one, too. I know what you're talking about. It, it definitely is more of a sci-fi feel. Uh, In terms of driving, though, it's a perfectly acceptable normal vehicle in in the model. I had something called the first edition, uh, which roughly uh, works out to the premium trim level. Mm -hmm. It it, it doesn't really impress you in terms of handling. It's perfectly fine. Like, there's nothing bad about it. It it drives well. It's it's reasonably planted. It's not engaging, really, to drive, especially the steering at low speeds is super weird. Like, sometimes you're turning the wheel and all of a sudden you can turn it, like, completely like you've you've achieved full lock much quicker than you thought you would. I noticed it a lot when I was parking. Oh yeah, okay. It's is this like a this is like a variable variable ratio rack or something? I like assume that? so, something like that. Those but, can be so disorienting. Like yeah. it's it's definitely a little strange. Um, it it I I can't. You know, I don't have anything bad to say about how it drives. I don't have anything really great to say. It's pretty quick, but it's not like snap your head back. I didn't like the uh, one-pedal drive mode. I found that was too aggressive, but I think that might be me. I think that I just find that on most vehicles. I find it's the, the back-and-forth motion can be really hard to get used to, and I get a little seasick in the right. car. And um, if you do, imagine how the passengers feel. Yeah, that's true. Because uh, a big part of that is not knowing how the braking is going to be applied, right? And then finally, um, in terms of practicality, I carried some tires home with it. Uh, I saw. Yeah, I had no issues. There was enough room. I will say, though, that the battery pack is at the bottom of the vehicle, like every electric car. So the load floor is really high in the back, like exceptionally high. And there's only four more cubic feet of space inside the total cargo of the Mach-E compared to like a GTI. Oh, so okay. it's so a lot only marginally more. Yeah, it's a much bigger vehicle than a is golf. Is there a front trunk? Yeah, there is a there is a, there's a trunk in the front, and it's is it it's, usable. I you know what I didn't need it, so I never popped it. I didn't use it. Um, I, but sounds I can. Use, sounds useless to me, Ben. I've seen you take care of filling a car with every possible, <laughs> you know, every possible thing. So well, I I, can, I'm assuming it's not usable. What I do know about it is you can has a drain plug, so you can fill it with like ice and stuff if you want to use it as a cooler. I, I've seen people do that. So if that's your thing, you can do that too. So that gives you – that's a little bit of an advantage over like a, a, you know an, a, an internal combustion vehicle. You can't do that in your Golf, right? But it is a lot bigger than a Golf, yet not really that much bigger inside. It's interesting too. If you open the doors on the Mach-E, the door panels curve all the way down to the bottom of the car. And that's great because it really, really reduces wind noise inside the vehicle. But okay. the reason it does that is because the battery pack really rises up from the bottom you're kind of stepping over that every time you get into the vehicle and it's not something you'll necessarily notice but it is very different from a traditional crossover that's really interesting i never noticed that and um i'm just more curious as to that whole like the body style doesn't seem easily identifiable i know you know uh, from profile it's kind of like a hatchback or a wagon or or a crossover but like there's all of these elements to it and i also am curious about the the driving style whether or not they held back a little bit or maybe because I don't know. I think there, there might be more opportunities for this car to get either more 
um, performance oriented or more range oriented in, in other ways. I don't know if they can fit more battery in there, but well, I mean, if you, more it, efficient motors will, will come out. If you look at the, the GT, it's, it's way quicker. You know, right. it's like it's a full. But that could be tires, right? It's a, no, I don't think so. It, it, it's definitely the fact that it has double the torque, okay. <laughs> or not double, sorry, but 150, 200 pound feet more. Okay. I mean, it's it's a full second and a half to a second quicker zero to sixty. So that that that's not nothing. So that if you want the performance model, that's out there. I just haven't driven it, so I can't really speak to it. Um, there's one other thing about the vehicle that should be mentioned, and well, two things. The first. The infotainment system controls almost everything in the vehicle. Uh, oh, yeah. It's this massive vertical screen, yeah, isn't you have it? Yeah. You have a big vertical screen on the dashboard in the center, and then you have a tiny, tiny gun slit screen for the gauge cluster that is actually really easy to miss because it can hide behind the steering wheel if you have the I seat. hate that. Yeah. If you have the wheel tilted, it can block it. But almost everything you'll do in the vehicle is on the center stack. It's reasonably easy to use, but there's a lot of options when you're driving. It can sometimes be a hassle to move from one section of it to the other. Um, Ford does an interesting job of listing the things you use the most at the bottom in these little tiles. And then you tap a tile and it comes to the forefront with what you were previously doing going back to the list. I like that. But it's, it's not super intuitive to access all of the different settings in the vehicle. Uh, the mm. other thing I want to talk about is charging. I charged this both um, at home on a 110 outlet, like just with an extension cord, and it did. Oh, pretty... that must have taken you like what four days to charge? No, it didn't. It wasn't that bad. Uh, I got like I got like 10 percent or something over the or 10 10 to 15 percent over the course of like six seven hours. That's pretty good. And then overnight, yeah. uh, I got double, if not double and a half, like 25 percent, okay. something like that. Yeah. Um, I also tried it on a level two. Because once you get to like 80% on an EV, the charging really slows down because it protects the battery. Right. So if you can get to a level two charger, once you're at that point, you'll do a lot better. And I, in about four hours, I went from, I want to say 58% to 95%. So that was, that was pretty good. Um, yeah. The issue was I had trouble finding a charger that worked. Uh, I had what a, yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, there's a charger a couple blocks from my house. These are public chargers. And I plugged it in, and it was unable to make a connection with the vehicle. I couldn't use it. I had to choose another charger eight blocks away. And even then, when it connected to the vehicle using the app, it's called uh, Electric Circuit here in Quebec. Yeah. And um, the app would tell me how many kilowatt hours of electricity it was using, but it didn't tell me the percentage of battery charge. So I had to guess. I had yeah. to just guess and say, like, okay, four hours is enough. And then I went and picked it up. And it turns out I was right. But, you know, it was totally a shot in the dark. So that was not impressive. And I had to do a lot of extra walking to use public infrastructure. I have a friend, uh, Jeff Wilson. Actually, you know him, Sam. Mm-hmm. He's an auto journalist in, in Toronto. And he had similar issues with the- I traveled the whole country with this guy. I went from one coast to the other with him. Um, I, we get it. You're better friends with him than you are with me. Yeah. But moving on. He uh, had similar problems with the Maki in terms of finding infrastructure that worked. And it really feels like the hardest part of EV ownership is just infrastructure isn't there yet. This is really interesting. And I do think it's worth talking about because um, I've been I've been participating in something um, across the the Automotive Journalists Association of Canada called EcoMonth. And, um, you know, these these uh, people have have been checking out, you know, EVs and chargers and it's really interesting to see how people's experience compare um, at different stations and with different vehicles. Now, me personally, I have never 
um, had any significant issues with any chargers, with the exception of a few free level two chargers that have just they just they're like dead. They're like dead on arrival. They don't do. How anything. do you think that happens? Do you think because they're free they get abused or something? Like I don't know. How I don't does know. That work? I think I think it might have to do with maintenance. That if it's not a a building or a, or a yeah like a building management priority, it doesn't get looked after or something like that when something does go wrong you, you got me thinking that like free public chargers of which i've never seen by the way are like the the gas station bathrooms of the charging world yeah, like it you know, feels like it you've never i've never not i've never walked into a gas station bathroom that wasn't completely destroyed <laughs> like you know like someone had had a complete total rage meltdown no, and like just, tore yeah. the doors off the stalls and like the every surface is wet and, like, there's running water somewhere that you can hear, but you can't see it. Like, yeah. to me, that's what these public tra- these public charging stations are. That is my experience. Um, however, the fast chargers that I use um, are not the fastest fast chargers, if that makes sense. They're stuck at these, like, 50 kilowatt um, chargers, which is pretty good still. But I know other people who are, trying, who are using, like, these uh, 72 kilowatt ones or 150 or even these massive, like, 350 ones. And they complain about these all the time. So I don't know if this is something to do with just how much juice these things are, try- are, are trying to put, push into a vehicle or not. Um, but my experience has been pretty good with the exception of, like I said, one free charger looking like it, it was going to kill somebody if I, if I attached it any longer in my, into the car. So the, I, also have to, I also have to ask you, though, apps. How many charging apps do you have? I have one. You have one. That's yeah. it. Because okay. I almost always charge at home. I okay. don't often charge on the road because I don't take a lot. I, I haven't taken a lot of road trips that are extended in an EV that don't include coming back to Montreal. Like uh, the reason I mentioned it that way okay. is in the past, I have done road trips like point to point where I knew I would have to charge when I got to the point where I was at. But I've had bad experiences where the chargers took a very, very, very long time. And um, since then, I've tried to limit my road trips so that, you know, if I have 300 miles of range or 200 miles of range, I can go there and back in 200 miles. Right. That's that's tough. I have like four apps and they're so – it's like so frustrating to like cycle through them and be like, which one am I using now? And is it – which? how much money do I have in this one's wallet? And it's like so annoying. And the fact – I really wish it was a bit more more standardized. The way – Tesla does it is I believe it's all done through the car. You plug the car and it charges just like that with the superchargers. And I believe there's a new protocol called plug and drive, which is found, I think, on the new Mach-E and the Porsche Taycan. And that's the same thing. You can just charge essentially like the car handles the pay- the fees and the charging um, like back and forth. I mean, just the fact that we have this hassle and that I have to I've, I've decided to take the step in road trip planning really indicates that an EV wouldn't work in my current lifestyle. Like I've, I really thought about, um, you know, if we were living outside of Montreal and had to go back and forth from where we were living to the city, would an EV be practical? And it's really, when I was talking about this with, with Jeff, we were saying that it's really a dice roll. Every time (laughs) you get to a charger, you're gambling that it will work. You're gambling how quickly it will charge. That is is not being in use too. Yeah. Yeah. That it's, that it's even available. And like Having to add an element of uncertainty to all of your trips, it sucks. 
Yeah, there's absolutely. no way around it. And especially in a climate like Canada, where in the winter it's very cold, which means you're going to be using yeah. more power. But also, you don't want to be futzing around outside with a charger that doesn't work because it's minus 20 degrees outside and you yep. just want to get it done. So, and I'm talking about outdoor chargers that are on the street. Like, obviously, in a parking garage, this may be a bit of a different story. But it, it's. Oh, but they're, be- they're like, they're like requiring some charging, some chargers to have like a canopy, I suppose, so that the car doesn't get like drenched in snow or rain i've never even heard of that good luck with yeah, that I've like seen that how how would a plow not take that canopy out like, i have no idea it looks ridiculous and then the other the other thing is we were t- uh, i was thinking about this new f-150 that was it was the lightning ev um i think chad was around to talk to us about this isn't yes. that right um you they're expecting people to tow with it or they're advertising that people can tow with this f-150 but charging using a re- a current public charger would be a nightmare with that with a tow. It would be impossible with a trailer, trailer attached. It would, be, it would no make no sense. You would make so many enemies parking across like all five <laughs> spots if you were even able to find like something that had five spots available. Uh, yeah, it would it would make no sense. Unfortunately, like it's clear the more we I think that the cars are getting better and better, more usable, but you're right, the rest of the the rest of the experience is really limiting like that's a problem it makes sense that it's limiting too because evs are such a tiny insignificant percentage of the market so if a company comes along and wants to serve those clients i mean you're you're setting a really low cap on your profitability when you are going to have to make huge capital investments to create infrastructure so like it's it's a very self-defeating cycle i have to say that this is another another problem too right like during the during the pandemic and the lockdown, some of the um, public chargers that I would use, the fast chargers that I would like to use, are in malls. And then the mall parking lot was closed during this whole pandemic, and I couldn't go over there to use it. And I'm I had to like ask somebody what is the what is the cost associated to installing a fast charger in on your property? And for those companies, it's like in the hundreds of thousands of dollars or something. And then they're just locked it off, and it's like, well, that's the end of that. You can't use it during this time. And it was really – it just sucks. Like, it's just wild. What so you're saying doing. that the, the EV infrastructure should have predicted a global pandemic? No, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that, like, why would a mall lock out the fast charger in its, in its parking lot? Why am I not allowed back at Hot Topic? I mean, these are legitimate <laughs> questions that people want answers to. Um, right, let's get back to the, the Mustang Mach-E, though. Okay. It doesn't matter what its name is. It doesn't matter um, what, like, it, 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 you found it to be good enough to drive. Um, yeah, it's a not, very acceptable vehicle. What does that, like, what does that mean in the long run, right? Is that I, competitive with the rest of the EV segment? Well, it's Ford's best. It's the best Ford EV I've ever driven. Okay. I mean, they've had. That, there's a lot of Tesla owners who might be laughing at that statement. Well, I mean, I really don't care what Tesla owners laugh at or not. It doesn't affect Ford's ability to sell the uh, the Maki in any way, or or me personally. Okay. Uh, I mean, Ford is a company that has traditionally not built a lot of EVs and not really taken it seriously. Uh, they built a lot of good plug-in hybrids, mm-hmm. but in terms of EVs, I think what there was the Focus. Yeah. And that was built on a legacy platform with a very small battery. Was there a, an EV version of the Transit Connect? I have no idea. I don't think so. Maybe not in North America. I thought there was. Anyway, this is their kind of first real uh, purpose-built electric vehicle, and I think they did a very good job from that perspective. Um, I don't think it's necessarily much better or worse than what else is out there. 
I think it's a solid entry and it's, you know, if you're looking for a crossover that's electric and you don't want to buy a Kia or a Hyundai for some reason, then you can come over here and, and take a look at the, the Mach-E. It's a lot bigger, I think, than the Bolt version of the SUV, right? Yeah. So there's nothing really at General Motors that matches this. And uh, certainly okay. Chrysler has nothing in this category. So it's it stands on its own and uh, I think it's worth driving if you're considering an EV. Pricing wise, it can go all the way up to like sixty thousand. I don't really see the need to do that. I like the the version I was driving was probably like mid fifties if you include all of the gear that came with it. But if you just wanted like that base model, if you don't need all wheel drive, um, you can do pretty good with the the base battery and two hundred thirty miles of charge. That's not a bad situation to be in. Cool. Um, do you mind if we start talking about the the vehicle I drove because it's it's not the same. But it is kind of similar. I don't I know. Mean, how to go for it. it. I mean, the, okay. I think it's only fair that you also talk about a vehicle this week. Yeah, I want to because you didn't get I that opportunity to. last week, and I think the show suffered because of it. Oh, and mainly because you had to carry the po- the, the podcast so hard. It is such a heavy load. It is so difficult. I know. I know. Um, I drove the new Lincoln Aviator, but the model I had was known as the Grand Touring, and what that means is, like your Mustang Mach E, it has an electric powertrain. But unlike it, it's a this is a, a plug-in hybrid, um, and I have to say I've driven the gas-powered um, Lincoln Aviator, and I've heard other people talking about it, and it's left a lot of strong impressions. The plug-in hybrid model felt like more of the same, but also way too heavy, and all and that and that um, hybrid, sorry, that electric powertrain, that electric range it offers is almost useless. It's not. It's not functional. So you can actually feel the weight of the battery in what is already a very large and heavy vehicle? So I don't know if that's because of just because of the additional battery, but the vehicle feels so heavy. And I just don't remember it feeling like that worryingly heavy. (laughs) Worryingly heavy. That is a strong term. Like, what do you mean by that? Okay, this is weird. But every time I um, every time I applied the brakes, every once in a while, there would be like a like a moment where I would feel the. the ABS kick in a little bit and you can just feel the vehicle like just falling onto those rear, onto those front rotors, just like, Oh, please stop me. Um, and it just doesn't, it just didn't feel very comfortable. Do you think that's a feature of the extra vehicle weight or do you think that's like the regenerative braking system being overwhelmed? I mean, it it could be both of those, but, um, it just didn't lead to a very refined experience overall. So I don't know. You're right. It might be, it might not be weight altogether, but that is a very, it is still a very heavy vehicle. Um, and overall you get 21 miles of electric range, which okay. is, which just didn't feel like that functional or useful at all. Like it just didn't seem like I was ever getting out and using all of that or, or getting that value there because this is, this can be a pretty, a fairly pricey vehicle, um, the, the Grand Touring model, I think, let me just make sure I know what the, the mileage is here. I mean, the price is here. One second. Grand Touring starts at around 70 grand. Wow. And yeah. what, so how much of that is like, if you've got the gas only version with similar features, like what are you paying for? Like how much extra? You're getting, it's like 12, it's like 12 grand. Wow, and and the power difference? difference between the, le- the the lower trim level. Did you notice a performance difference? Is there a power difference that comes with this? Yeah, this car is pretty. Uh, it has a pretty good powertrain. It has a three liter turbocharged V six, 
combines that with a um, a electric powertrain, like I mentioned, and you've got like nearly. I think it was like I just gotta make sure I've got my figures right. I don't know why I've lost all of my. I like panicked essentially once it was my turn. It's got ni- uh, 494 horsepower and uh, 630 pound-feet of torque, which is a lot. Like that's a ton. I think it that's feels- like 200 pound-feet of torque more than the gas model. Yeah, I want to see it that that's happening, and almost a hundred more horsepower than the gas model. Yeah, that's as well. that's pretty crazy. But I mean, if the weight is there to counteract that, mm-hmm. is that what you're saying? Like off the line, does it feel slow? It feels good, but you you totally notice like that that there is it isn't it doesn't your response your the response is not there. That's what I'm trying to say. Is like you put your foot into it, it kind of rears back, and then you get going. On the road, on the highway, when you're trying to make a pass, it just isn't the most like visceral experience that you would get from something with 500 horsepower and 600 pound feet of torque, 630 pound feet of torque. It just didn't feel like that exactly. But um, I would say that you you wouldn't be too disappointed in terms of that straight line speed. But bringing it to a bring slowing it down, bringing it to a stop was not as not as uh, it didn't bring me any any feelings. So it didn't bring me at ease at all. What about cornering? Yeah, especially there was no cor- there's no no cornering capability of this car. It's it is not made for taking corners at any speed at all. So who is this vehicle for? Do you think? Like, I don't know. I don't it, know. It kind of feels like if you're gonna have like a 600 pound feet of torque uh, SUV, that's something you'd really want to brag about and kind of make your halo vehicle in at that segment, right? Like yeah, size, full size, whatever. Yeah. But I don't necessarily get the impression from your experience with it that it offers that level of experience. Well, I don't – look, the the Aviator um, has a lot going for it, I think. It looks pretty good. I'm not – I'm actually falling out of love with its front profile look. It has like this uh, quad light kind of look. Um, and then the interior is actually very attractive. It doesn't feel like a, like a guzzied up uh, Ford. It feels like something more special and, and unique. Those are the elements that make the Aviator um, attractive in the first place. It has a very high-end cabin. It has nice design, and it has a very capable powertrain. The Grand Touring model just adds a little bit more in every way. It's a little bit more advanced. It has, like, fancy technology. You could brag about it being, you know, a plug-in hybrid if that's what you want to brag about. Um, And it has, like, you know, unique or bespoke graphics that are not found uh, elsewhere in, in the Ford lineup, I guess. And I think that's a good thing. I think that really is. But... You know, when you when you think about what other automakers are doing in this class, let's say for example the BMW um, X5 with the with the electric motor, yeah, uh, with the sorry the plug-in hybrid version of it, that might be a little bit more special, but doesn't have the the, the spacious third row. Um, I think there's likely going to be a GV80 with a with a powertrain like this as well. I think that's got to be on the cards, but. And I think all of these things will probably end up overshadowing what Lincoln has done early in this class. Now, price-wise, it's interesting you mentioned the X5 because to me that vehicle is in a totally different. Yeah, class. of course. So, but what? Is, how much does this cost? I told you it's about it's about seventy. Grand about seventy. Grand. Okay, I forgot. I know you mentioned that it was about twelve thousand more than yeah. um, a regular one. So seventy grand. I, can you get an X5 plug-in for that money? I think no, you I can. Don't think so. No, I think you can. I think it is the. Um, for when I drove it, I remember being impressed by <clears throat> excuse me by how reasonably priced it was, and like if you compared it to other versions of the X5, to me it was the one to get. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It starts at sixty five. Okay. So in All a right. wor- in a world 
where I have where to you can choose. Get a, yeah. And I'm getting and a, again. This also uses a turbo, uh, a turbo six with a with an electric powertrain. How much range does the X5 have again? I don't remember off the top. Let of my me double head. check. It was fine. Like I, I did a decent amount of electric only driving. Um, Actually, I, I remember you kind of like talking to me one day about it, being like, "I don't think I used much gas this week." Yeah, it's it's also I I don't think it has 600 pound feet of torque. It's not going to have the same <laughs> kind of true. crazy experience as the Lincoln. But if I was picking an SUV, I like the Lincoln Aviator. I like the gas version. I haven't driven the one you've driven, but the X5 did, has 10 more miles of range. Okay, in in no world would I choose the Lincoln over the X5 because the yeah. X5 is just such a good all arounder, unless. I need a vestigial third row, which I, you know, it's it's hard to say, well, you're going to use the three, third row twice a year, so endure everything else about the Lincoln <laughs> instead yeah. of getting the X5. Yeah. But it's I, a shame because I, I have, I've had, I remember having a very positive first impression with the Aviator, and I think I'm not the only one. No, I really liked it too, and I still do like it, but I don't think I like this plug-in hybrid at this price. I, I agree. I, said. I I think that once you take into an extra 12 grand on the Aviator... That that regular model was totally fine. The gas-powered model is totally good. It's, it's good enough. So it, there's no plug-in hybrid for the Navigator yet, right? No. So that's a little weird, don't you think? Very weird. Especially um, if you're going to be asking for a five-figure price increase. You'd think you'd want to do that on the Halo vehicle. Absolutely. I agree with you. Um, and I always thought the Navigator was... That, I mean, with an SUV, as we've seen, actually, with an SUV, you've got the footprint to pack batteries into it right yeah and we've talked about how much we like the navigator yeah of course (laughs) the navigator is very cool i think that's that's a great choice but we've yet to see the escalade and the navigator i'm sorry to bring up cadillac in this conversation suddenly but we've yet to see these um full-size suvs kind of take on the role of of plug-in hybrid or ev well, yes, that's true. I mean, we did have uh, – there's been several electric versions of the Escalade, but they weren't plug-ins, right? We had the hybrid right. versions. And those, for their time, were pretty good. You had like 25% better mileage around town, which doesn't sound like a lot. But when you're talking about a big, heavy truck, that makes a difference. So, Absolutely. Uh, I do remember, though, that a few years after the original Escalade hybrid, the second generation of it, I want to say, was super expensive. It was like hundred grand back in, yeah. back in an era where a $100,000 Cadillac was a super big deal. They like priced it out of its own price, yeah, out of its it, own segment. It, it was did like, not oh, make you sense. want a Cadillac hybrid? Yeah, right. <laughs> Prove it. Prove it yeah. by sacrificing everything. It, it, that was the whole era where Cadillac was doing the same thing with the ELR, which was a really cool electric oh, car yeah. based on the Volt, but it was like $85,000. <laughs> and it didn't make any sense at all for the performance you got. The interior was nice, but not $85,000 nice. And now, like, I, I shop for them online every once in a while just to see how far they've fallen. And they're like, Aren't they like 20 or something? They're like 30 grand for like a oh, really nice God. one, but they're hard to find. They didn't sell any, surprisingly. Because <laughs> the, the Volt, the Volt the is a good car. Like, yeah. But the, the ELR was the Volt with a tiny bit more power and less range. So. And two doors. And two doors uh, and, and a very tiny backseat. Yes. Um, it's it was interesting. Do you, so are, I'm like, I guess we're, we're getting to it. Like, is Ford taking their time or are they currently like right there? We just we just talked about the Mustang Mach-E. The, um, the F-150 Lightning is, is being discussed and has got, generated a lot of buzz. I actually took a closer look at it um, last week and I, was, I came away pretty impressed um, for what it offers. 
But, you know, I also don't really know whether or not it's going to be totally useful or practical for many truck owners, but it will be for those who want to get an EV and understand the limitations there. I mean, but then, it, like, what's next? We need to get these SUVs fully electric, too. If right? you're asking me if you could take a Ford Lightning power plant and put yeah. it in a navigator, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's absolutely no reason why you couldn't do that. What, what, what's the maximum range on the, the Ford? I want to say 280 miles or something like that. On the uh, Lightning? Yeah, on the Lightning. 230. Uh, the maximum, yeah, is about 300, actually. 300 miles. Okay, so... I actually, ta- I actually learned that the, those mileage ratings are EPA rated. Um, and because they're trucks, they have to be, they have to be, um, the te- they have to be tested with a, with a payload. Okay, so if you're looking at the Navigator, maybe you get a few miles of range because it's not carrying a payload. But the question becomes: Is there someone willing to pay a hundred grand for a Navigator with with three hundred miles of range? Like, is that a real market? And is that person never going to tow, et cetera, et cetera? Like, I think once you get to people who are paying that much money for a car, every time you kind of uh, peel back capability. You're yeah, going every time to, you add limitation and limitation. Yeah, you're going to have to justify that or make it worthwhile some other way. And I don't know if Ford's willing to do that at this point or if they're maybe I waiting mean, for a different battery technology. When you think of a Lincoln, the perfect trip for a Lincoln is – or I mean a, a, a Navigator. Ooh, don't, even, the, don't even get me started on what the perfect trip for a Lincoln is because <laughs> – Oh. I was going to say prom, Sammy. I was going to say prom. Obviously, it's prom. Okay. Uh, I, I always think it's a, it's, a, it's a very nice road trip vehicle. And if you're going to be doing your road trips 300 miles at a, at a time, that doesn't sound like anything particularly. Some people live their lives 300 miles at a time, Sammy. And for, oh, those, sure. for those six to seven hours, they're free. Okay. <laughs> six to seven hours, they're free. I love it. Um, okay, Ben, anything else you want to talk about this week? No, I think I'm good. I think that, that, that really sums it up. Okay, so um, let's let's tell the people where they can find our podcast. What do you think? Uh, go for it. Okay, if you want to hear and see more about the Unnamed Automotive Podcast, it's very easy to do so. You just go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, and while you're there, you'll see a list of all of our previous episodes, and there's lots of ways for you to subscribe to the podcast very easily using some, some buttons on the top. Additionally, if you really want to, you can you know, forego that whole experience and use your podcast client or podcatcher as it is and search for us there and subscribe to us through that. But the reason I want you to go to the website is because it's very easy to get in touch with us that in touch with us that way. There's a contact form, you fill it out and all of that uh, discussion that you're having with us lands in our inbox and we can talk about it on the next podcast, which is very cool. Additionally, you can reach out to either Ben or myself on social media you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, H-A, like you're laughing. Um, and you can find Ben on Instagram where he's sharing all of his cool p- photos and stuff. He's at Hunting Benjamin. So, you know, follow us, reach out to us there. And Sammy, what are you going to be talking about next week? I'm going to be talking about a BMW 330e. Okay. So that is also a semi-electrified vehicle? Yeah. I'm going to be talking about the Ford Bronco Sport. Very cool. We haven't had a chance to talk about that yet. No, 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 um, no batteries, but uh, tiny little turbos. <laughs> tiny little turbos. I can't wait to talk to you about it. And uh, one last plug for Code Forty Five. It's the last week. Uh, June thirtieth is the last day to get it. Go to www.code-45.com and you can grab your copy there. Very cool. I'll see you next week, man. Bye, everybody. Bye.